All right, well, glad you're here. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I know your notes say Ephesians 3, but we are going to start in Ephesians chapter 2 just to get us kind of a little bit of background. Uh, we are continuing on in our series, the, uh, the, uh, His Mercy is More. This is an Easter series looking at the greatness of God, the greatness of God's mercy, and how He, he continues to lavish that out on us through Jesus Christ. We started this by, uh, the series by looking at uh, the depth of our sin, and, and the, the greatness of God's mercy in, in juxtaposition to our sin, that, that our sins are many, that our sins push us far from we are so There's a chasm, wide is the gap between us and God because of our sins, but because of his great mercy, he has made a way through Christ to draw us near to him through faith in Jesus Christ. We saw that mercy is more. Though our sins are many, his mercy is more. Then last week we took a look at uh, a, a sermon titled, Where Else Could We Go?, Remember that? Where else could we go? And we really talked about the exclusivity of Christ. We talked about the, the desire in our hearts, um, or that, that there's, there's all kinds of desires we have, where, where we could go, what we could find, what we could search for. But in reality, the only thing that could ever fill the void in our heart is Jesus Christ. And, and we, in talking about the exclusivity of Christ, we really looked at the, the fact that, man, that kind of sounds rough, that sounds harsh to say there's only one way. But what we know, what we understand is, is because of our great sin and the separation from God, what we do at the end of this time with our exclusive, uh, exclusivity of Christ is we thank God that there is a way and that he's made that way known and clear so that you and I are without excuse. And, and we talked about it. We likened it to a rescue plan instead of a choose-your-own-adventure, right? We like to choose-your-own-adventure stories. We like to say, I'm in control of my own path. But really, this is a rescue mission. He's the guy that's flying the helicopter. He's the guy that's leading you out of the, the tunnels and caves that you're lost in. And he is the only one that knows the only way out. There's no other helicopter coming to rescue you. There's no other guide coming to walk you out of the tunnel into the light except for Jesus Christ. So we thank God that there is a way. Amen. Today, we're going to look at this great mercy of God as seen in the mystery that is Christ in us. That through faith in Christ, uh, salvation occurs and, and God's Holy Spirit indwells us. And that there's a mystery now for, for Christians, for you and I, that, that there is the power of God residing in us. And it's a great mystery, but we're going to talk about that today and, and look at that and kind of unpack it uh, and, and see what happens, um, what, what, that, what that mystery of Christ in us does for our lives or what it should do in our lives. Uh, before we get started in our passage, I'm going to pray and then we're going to read a good chunk of this passage in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you've drawn us here together in unity to worship the Son, Jesus. And God, as we do that, I pray that you would help him increase in this house today and help us decrease. That you would open our hearts and our minds to your word to be receptive to it. That we would glean from it. We would learn from it, God. We would, we would respond to it in faith, in faithful obedience. And God, as we see who you are, that we would grow in that knowledge of who you are, and God, that that would strengthen us in our inner person, that we might look more and more like Jesus to the world around us. We ask you to guide us. We ask you to, to convict us. We ask you to direct our paths, and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's, it's a little bit of a, uh, a jump around as we start. I just want to give you a preface of that. Uh, Today's passage is really Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, and it's, it's a prayer from Paul for the believers, and he has a couple of prayers in this, uh, in this book, but what I want you to understand is he, he starts out this prayer in chapter 3, verse 1, 
And I don't know, I don't know about you, uh, I'm kind of similar to Paul in a lot of ways. You ever pray before and you start praying and, and you, start, you pray for your sister or your brother, then you pray for something else related and then you're like on a whole different thing and your mind's wandering and now you're on this total different theology or theological tangent or maybe you're just in your mind fishing on some river. You ever do that? You ever get lost? I do. I mean, I need a prayer list. I really do. I need to list it out so I can just go down that list and be on task because so often my mind wanders. Now, Paul, as an apostle of Christ, also as, he, as an author of Scripture, he, he, is, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So his um, s- sidetracks are Holy Spirit-led, right? These are, these are from God. And oftentimes I, I joke with the staff that when I write a sentence, sometimes I write a sentence that's a run-on sentence, and I say, well, it's just kind of a Pauline sentence, right? He, just, he goes on and on and on. Well, Paul does it here, too. He, so he, he talks about the background of, of what we need to understand and our identity in Christ in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And then after that chapter's over, he starts a prayer. He says, he, because for this reason, what I just told you, he starts to pray. And before he really even gets his prayer started, at the end of verse 1, he again segues into making a statement about why it's so grand and what it is and clearing it up even more. And then he finally continues his prayer, started in verse 1 down in verse 14, and he finishes the prayer, which we're going to look at today. So what I'm going to do today in our text, I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, to give you the context of, of our identity in Christ and what he's trying to help us with so we understand the message of Christ, the gospel, and the prayer will come and follow that. So if you're following along, we're in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 11 through 22, and then 3, 1, and then 3, 14 through 21. It's clear as day, isn't it? Clear as mud. Okay, here we go. So then remember that one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done by the flesh, uh, by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded to the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of the commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death." He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on your behalf of you Gentiles. Now right there, he makes the segue, and let's jump down to verse 14. He begins the prayer in verse verse 1, and he goes down to 14, he continues it. He says it again, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now you can look a little more at that. Uh, he, he, again, repeats some of the things in verses 2 through uh, 13, just to reiterate the fact that this grace is immense, this mercy is more, that this redemption we have in Christ is phenomenal. But the prayer is where we're going to focus today, this prayer about the mystery of Christ in us. So that's today's title, The Mystery of Christ in Us. Number one is this, the mystery of Christ in us, uh, it, it is that He would dwell in our hearts, that He would dwell in our hearts. This is the, this profound mystery of that Christ lives in us. We don't have to do it on our own anymore, but Christ lives in us. Look at verses 14 through 17a of Ephesians 3. It says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Let's stop there. For this reason I kneel before the Father. Remember, for this reason, he's saying, based on everything I've just told you, and I would be remiss if I didn't stop you what he just told you. You know, we read it, but I, I need us to understand this because this drives home the point of his mercy being about the mystery of him in us. <clears throat> Here's what he's saying. For this reason, for this reason is this, that God in Christ came to pay a penalty on the cross for my sin. That my sin is many, right? That, that God created us to be with him as, as objects of his great affection and that we decided to sin and we separated ourselves from God. But God who wants to pursue us and wants that relationship with us, wants to be our Father, continued to pursue us. Not to say, hey, get your act together, make yourself better, and line up with what I'm doing so then I can accept you. No, that's not what he said at all. He said, I, I know you can't do it, so have faith in me. I, I will take care of it. I will be just, and I will be gracious. And God was just and gracious as he gave us a gift we did not deserve, that is Jesus Christ. He was gracious, and his mercy was more. And he was just as he put the penalty of my sin, the penalty of your sin, on the shoulders of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, Christ was crucified, not for something he had done, but something that we had done. And he took the, the, the sins of the world upon his shoulders, and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin, that, that through faith in Christ, you and I, who were far away from God because of our sin, could be drawn near. You and I, who had an immense debt to be paid, could be redeemed and paid in full by the blood of Christ on the cross. And not only that, that, that we'd be free from sin, but that we would have life eternal because Christ didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead in victory. And that because he has life, those who have faith in Christ will also have life. See, he's brought us near by the blood of Christ. And through repentant faith in him, God then promises that he will indwell every believer. And we'll look at this today. The, the, the notion here is that we want God, Christ to dwell in us. And we'll look at that word in a minute. But, but the point here is that through, through salvation, through faith in Christ, we are, we are saved from our sin. We're rescued out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the sun. And, and He is the one who indwells us at that point. That Upon salvation, God's Holy Spirit moves in to the heart of every believer. And it's through His grace and His power, He continues to help us to live a life that looks more like Jesus. 
So, so when we have repented of our sin and turned to him in faith, he's moved in. So today we're going to unpack the mystery, and now he's there. What does that look like, and what does that mean for us? And the first one was that he would dwell in our hearts. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We'll kind of take a look at a couple aspects of this passage. One is he kneels before the Father. And what Paul understands, see, this is not typical posture. This is, usually they would stand to pray, and you'll see a lot of instances of that, but there's not one way or another to pray. But the times that, that people pray kneeling is a time of awe and worship and humility. It's an emotional overflow, and it's an overwhelming place where it's like, I just can't help but kneel before God. He says he approaches him as father, and Paul approaches him in humility and in deep adoration. Like the psalm says, Psalm 95, come let us worship and what? And bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. You know, we go back to the, the, the Lord's Prayer sermon last summer and, and re-look re at that and re-look at how he's a father and how he's a good shepherd and, and that compassion and grace he gives us. Paul understood that. And it emotionally brought him to his knees in light of what he had just said about being distant from God and now being drawn near to God by the blood of Christ. We saw this too with Paul when he was uh, kind of ending his, his ministry. He was about ready to, to head off to, to be in prison and, and eventually would die. He wouldn't see his family anymore. In Acts 20, he says this. He says, I now commit to, uh, you to God and, and to uh, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Uh, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So Paul is saying, I, my life has been an outpouring. My life has been an outpouring. I just, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And he's, he's speaking to them. And he says, after this, he knelt down and prayed with them. This is an emotional, distressing time. Not, he's overwhelmed with the grace he's received in Christ. He's overwhelmed as he's been an outpouring of service and love to, to not only to God, but to those around him. He's been an outpouring. Uh, and then, then he's there with his people who have, have, have prayed with him and been with him. And he kneels down and prayed with all of them. And there were many tears shed by everyone. And he said, uh, and, and it goes on, they embraced Paul and they kissed him. And he kissed him. Uh, and they kissed him. Uh, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. It was a goodbye, right? This emotional time of on their knees, and then they accompanied him to the ship, and they never saw him again. So Paul knelt down at that point. I was like, I, I want to pray. He was overwhelmed with, with the majesty and grace of God. He was overwhelmed with the emotion of, of being, not being near to his church family here anymore. We see it also with, with Jesus in Mark Chapter 14, as, as Jesus uh, had left the, the table, the Lord's Supper, and he's heading towards the cross, right, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went a little farther, he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Right, but he fell on the ground, he bowed down before God, and even Jesus there, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So this deep humility, this deep emotionally distressed uh, Jesus is there bowing before God the Father, calling him Father. 
It's about posturing ourselves before God in humility. And Paul wanted us to know that this prayer was, was deeply, deeply rooted in, in the gospel and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and his, his emotional outpouring as ours. And so, so we should take this, take this pretty strongly, what he says here in this prayer. But it's about posturing ourselves to be strengthened, right? He says, I pray, I kneel and pray to the Father. And then he says, I pray that, you, that he might grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. This is that strengthening. There's a, a pot, we have to posture ourselves, though, to be strengthened. So we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon salvation. He lives there. He's there. But we have to let him free, right? We have to let him do what he wants to do in our hearts and to, to give us strength. And, and Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. He says, for this reason, uh, also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We also are asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, why so that? So we want to be filled, right? We want to be filled, it says there, with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need to get ourselves in the word, get ourselves where, where God's truth is being spoken. So that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So there's this goal of walking worthy and, and, and sharing the love of Christ with people around and to bear fruit, good fruit. And it goes on. I, I love the words, so that. You see a text and it says, so that. It's telling you why. It's important. So that you might walk worthy, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, right? And it says, so that you might have great endurance and patience. So why is it important for us to, to let God's spirit strengthen us that, so that we would have great endurance? And patience. I mean, I I don't know about you. I need that. I need more endurance. I need more patience. It says joyfully giving thanks. I need to be more thankful. I need that the Spirit of God, the mystery of Christ in me, to grow and to swell in a way that I overflow with thanksgiving and endurance and patience. It says, "Who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light?" And then remember, verse thirteen: He has rescued us. All this is based on the memory and knowledge and and what Paul had said because of this. He says, remember, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It goes back to last week's message. Where else could we go? And that once we've gone to Christ in faith and we've, we've received the salvation that he offers, where else can we go? There's nowhere else. And because we've been redeemed, there should be an overflowing attitude of, of, of thanksgiving and joyfulness out of our heart and that he would strengthen the inner person so that we would grow in endurance and grow in patience and, and we would walk worthy of the Lord being fully pleasing to him. And Paul is not praying for God to, to give these riches to believers. I want you to understand this. He's not saying, God, please, please, if you, if you so are, are, are called or want to give these riches to people, give this this strength to people. He's not saying that at all. He's saying um, that, that believers already have this inside of them because Christ dwells there. That's the mystery. There's a yielding that has to happen in our hearts so God can, God can be more and we can be less. It's not that, man, I really hope he'll give me, give me some supernatural power today. He, you already have that inside of you. What you have to do is get out of the way and let Christ reign in your hearts and dwell in your hearts. So he's not praying that God would give these riches to believers, 
but he's praying that he would strengthen believers according to the riches they already possess in Christ Jesus. Now he talks about dwelling in verse 17a. He says, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, this is not saying that we're hoping that Christ would dwell there. Christ already indwells believers. And this word dwell is bigger than just that he would be there. Dwelling in our hearts is not simply that he resides inside of us, but that he is at home there. You see the difference? There there are lots of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and, 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 and God lives there. But does he dwell there? Does he, do you give him the space? Do you let him renovate and take care of the house? Do you clean out the places that need to be cleaned out so that he can move into every corner and nook and cranny? It's not enough, again, that he just resides inside, but he wants to be at home there, settled down as a family member. And Christ cannot be at home in our hearts until our inner person submits to the strengthening of his spirit. And until the spirit controls our lives, Christ can't be comfortable there, but he'll, he'll stay as a tolerated visitor. But we want to make Christ comfortable there. Uh, there was a, a great book, a little a booklet, a, a Bible study called My, My Heart, Christ's Home. And it talked about every room in a house. If you think about a floor plan or blueprint, it talked about the bedroom and it talked about the bathroom. It talked about the closet and the living room and the dining room. It talked about all the rooms in the house and what those kind of equated to in our own lives and and how we would need to let Jesus in there. Don't just keep him in the living room. Let him, let him go to the coat closet. Let him go to the attic. Oh man, what's in the attic? What might be in the basement? And talking about, uh, let's clean house. Let's, let's make room. And, and think about that for yourself. Uh, when you have guests, I know this is very personal for me, the idea of this. Like, like there, there's a protective like, layer, right, in a family. Like, okay, we, we let certain people into our lives. And it's kind of like, well, I, I, how hospitable do I want to be? I'll tolerate you for an evening. We'll have dinner together, and, and it'll be okay. But no, we, after a while, it's like, okay, now it's, it's, we want, it's time to leave. Why don't you head on home? You don't say that, of course, right? But it's like, okay, and, and don't think that you should leave my house if you're there. That's not a big deal. But, but you, you know how we are? Because we want, to kind of, we want to be able to let our hair down. I want to get into my pajama pants, right, and, and get out of my plaid shirt and put a T-shirt on. So it's, it's one of those things like, is Christ the tolerated visitor? that you're just being hospitable to for a couple hours a week? Or is Christ the family member who's going to brush his teeth and do his business in your bathroom? Who's going to make dirty dishes and maybe track mud into the house? Are you, is it going to be more than a tolerated visitor? Are we going to be family? Are we going to let Christ reside there? And more than that, not just have the guest room, but have the house. This is what it means to let our inner person be strengthened and let Christ dwell. It's to give him full reign inside of us. And we aren't going to be strengthened in our inner man until we give Christ full reign inside of us. And it really is up to us, isn't it? And how much we're going to yield or how much we're not going to yield. He cannot live there in comfort and satisfaction or reigning until that house is cleansed of sin and filled with his will. And see, this is our mentality. It's, I've, I've got it, Jesus. I've got you, and, and, and now I'll figure it all out. No, you've got Jesus, and he's already figured it out. So yield to him and his power to strengthen you for life and godliness. 
It's not just say, okay, I've got Jesus, now let me go on my way. That's not how we're to live at all. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about this mystery of Christ in us. And the power of Christ in us isn't supposed to be our power, it's His power. He says, now we have this treasure, right? This mystery of Christ in us. We have this treasure, jars of clay. He's calling us, our bodies, our vessels, jars of clay. Like fragile, breakable jars of clay. Why? So why is this mystery of God in us in jars of clay? It's not so you and I could live and figure it out on our own. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Isn't that, a, isn't that awesome? I, have you run across somebody like that? I, I hope you look in the mirror and it can, it, can, it can be you. That you see their life and you're like, wow, they are a fragile, broke down, broke person, right? But they have Christ and they have joy and they are beaming with strength and patience and, and thanksgiving to God. Their life just exudes Jesus everywhere they go. It shows him, shows him off like crazy because they are so fragile, but he is so strong. We are all jars of clay. You understand that? We're fragile. We're breakable. We're easily crushed. We easily give in. We, we make excuses. But when we have Christ in us, dwelling us, strengthening our, our inner man in this jar of clay, although we're fragile, although we're weak, he is what? He is strong. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Now, that's weird. Listen, we carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. What, what is your life displaying? That's a question. We, what is my life displaying? Are, am I walking around like Jesus is still dead? Or am I living in a way that says, Jesus is alive and I want you to know. There's nothing I've done on my own. There's nothing I can do to strengthen myself. It's all about Him. We walk around not that Jesus is dead, but that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. Therefore, we do not give up. We do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. How many of you feel your outer person is being destroyed? It's called age, right? Oh, so two of us, right? Yeah, liars. I mean, our outer person is being destroyed. It is crazy. The Holy Spirit is the one, though, who strengthens us with His power according to the scale of His power and riches and His glory as we abide in Him. So He strengthens us on the inside. We are then graciously, mercifully renewed and empowered for life. And we grow stronger and stronger in our inner person even while our, our outer body grows old and frail. Paul says, I, I want you to be strengthened on, in your inner person, your inner being. And God will sustain you. God will get the glory. The life of Jesus will be displayed in your body. And oh, the great mercy he has given us as he resides in us. May we yield to him and let him dwell there. Number two, the mystery of Christ in us is that our knowledge of God's love would then grow. Our knowledge of God's love would grow. You see this in Ephesians uh, following on here in our, our passage, the second part of 17 verses uh, through 19. He says, I pray that, that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. It's interesting, this, this verse, he's like, God's love is unknowable, but I want you to know it. It surpasses all understanding, but you should know it. Well, how? Well, it says being rooted and firmly established in love. I want you to think about this. How do we grow in the knowledge of God's love? Well, uh, let's just take this example, for, for instance. And I get it doesn't go all across the board because there's a lot of failures here. But let's talk marriage. Like my marriage to my wife. I remember when I met my wife and just my eyes lit up and my heart lit up. And I was like, there's this light joy. And oh my goodness, I can't believe God's provided this way. There's a, this person's amazing. And I had this little puppy love, didn't I? But it was good. It was fun. It was butterflies going on. It was this emotional, like, wow, this is an amazing height of love. And then a year later, the day we got married. And we entered this commitment, this covenant with one another. And we're like, man, now what? What happens now? Well, what happens is that we invest ourselves in each other to love and to cherish and to grow in that love. And I, I know for me, I, I, I've got to count how many years it is, carry the one. It's, I think we're coming up on 17 years being married. I know for some of you, that's like the drop in the, in the bucket. Awesome. Well, you can, you can testify to this as well. Our love for one another has just grown and grown and grown. It's expanded the boundaries that I, I didn't even know could exist in a marriage. You think that when you, you first meet and you're that honeymoon phase, it's like, that's love. That's not love. That's, that's the start of love. That's the little basis of love. That's a seed of love. And then that love grows through in, in sickness and in health, Right? for better or for worse, through all the pains and, and the growing pains of a marriage and what you struggle through, that love grows and you get to know this love. And I, I even, I'll testify this, I don't even know where it's going to go. The love, it's, it's amazing that it's continuing to grow. So to me, 10 years down the road, it's unfathomable to me of what that love will look like. But I'm going to get to know that love. I want to know the width and depth and height and breadth of that love. As I get to know my wife more and more, and she, she, I. So Paul says this in a similar way, that, that you should grow in this love, being rooted in a, in a, and firmly established in love. I want you to comprehend how great, how vast this love is, and to know that love, to remember that love. But he starts with being rooted. What does that mean? Well, when we have Christ in us, there's a begins to be produced. First, he wants us to be rooted. right? It's, it's, we've cleaned the house, we've renovated, now we're going to plant ourselves somewhere. I want to read Psalm 1 to you, this joy of being rooted in Christ. It says, how happy or joyful, blessed, right? How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So we're avoiding those things. We've cleaned house and let him dwell. We're avoiding those things so that Christ could live in us and through us. It's instead, the one, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Right, we go, we go, go to the Word of God. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I want you to get this. We are to be like a tree planted beside his stream with roots that dig down deep and get nourishment. In fact, we're so rooted. This passage is saying we're so rooted that we find nourishment all year long, not just in seasons, not just in the late winter, early spring, where we then start to produce a fruit all summer long, and then we wither and our leaves fall off. We are to be rooted in Him all 
season long, all year long. He says the wicked are not like this. So we have this juxtaposition. We can be like the wicked or we can be rooted in Christ. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff and the wind blows them away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. You see, when we're, when we're rooted in Christ, when we're rooted down deep, finding nourishment from His Word, finding nourishment from His, from His Spirit, letting the indwelling God give us life, there is joy there. And, and His mercy is enough to give us perseverance there. And His mercy is enough to protect us there in our inner self. And His mercy is enough to grow a fruit, to produce a fruit. And we see that in Galatians, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit we will be producing from the inner self. And, and that begins to help us grow in the knowledge of God's love. And, and think about that. If we don't have a knowledge of God's love, how wide, how tall, how deep it is, how can we start to produce a fruit of love? We can't. And, and, and the fact is, the more we get to know the length and width and depth and height of God's love, the more fruit we can produce from that love. So let's talk about the magnitude of that love. He says that you might be able to comprehend that. I want to show, share a few verses with you. It kind of shows us off to start us thinking about that. John 3.16, it says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. See, this is a love wide enough to embrace the world. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it's a love chapter. He says, love never ends. See, it's a love that's long enough to last forever. In John 14, 3, he says this, if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You see, he has a love for us that is high enough to take redeemed sinners to heaven. Romans 8, 5, 8 says this, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God has a, a love that's deep enough that Christ comes to die for the lowest of sinners. It's really hard to fathom this love, but that begins to set this picture in motion. And, and when that picture's in motion, we hold on to that in our hearts. He strengthens our inner person, and, and we have this knowledge of God's love that grows and grows and then informs the rest of our lives I want to read a, a little poem. This is Charles Spurgeon had written this. And it's in your notes. Uh, someone suggested that we start writing down the, uh, the references if we make a reference. And so in your notes, on the bottom of your note page, it has an, an Ocean of Grace is the title by Tim Chester. And he's quoting Spurgeon on pages 39 through 41. I want to read this kind of this poem that Charles Spurgeon wrote about God's love. Your love, O Christ, in its sweetness, its fullness, its greatness, its faithfulness, surpasses all human comprehension. Where shall language be found which shall describe your matchless love, your unparalleled love toward the children of men? Your love is so vast and boundless that as the swallow skims the water without diving into the depths, so all descript words merely touch the surface of your love while the depths immeasurable lie beneath. For your love took you from the height of your majesty and glory to the depths of shame on earth. Who, Lord Jesus, can tell of your majesty? When you were enthroned in the highest heavens, you were very God of very God. 
By you were the heavens made and all the host within them. Your own almighty arm upheld the spheres. The praises of cherubim and seraphim perpetually surrounded you. The full chorus of the hallelujahs of the universe unceasingly flowed to the foot of your throne. You reign supreme above all your creatures, God over all, blessed forever. Who can tell the height of your glory? And who can tell how low you descended? To become a man was something. To become a man of sorrows was far more. To bleed and die and suffer. These were much for you, who were the Son of God. But to suffer such unparalleled agony, to endure a death of shame, a desertion by your Father, this is a depth of condescending love. The most inspired mind must utterly fail to fathom this love. Here is love, and truly it is love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, let this fill our hearts with adorning gratitude and lead us to practical manifestations of its power. Spurgeon is, is trying to let us know like this, it's, so, it's so wide and so vast we can't even fathom it. But as we try, we gain in the knowledge of his love. We grow in the knowledge of his love. And it's really important that Paul writes here in this passage. He says, I want you to comprehend not only the width and length and height, but he says, I want you to comprehend with all the saints. It's so important. See, comprehending the love of God is not something we do on an individual basis, on an isolated island or an isolated state. We, we don't just go to our library at home and open a book in quiet and start to try to figure out and fathom the love of God and the depth of God and the, and, the, and the breadth of His riches and His love towards us. We are to do this together with all the saints. That's the beauty of what we do now, today, Sunday mornings. That's what we do when we gather together, when we look at the Word of God and we sit under its teaching, when we sing those words together. It's about being, being in community and understanding this together in community. We should do this as we share meals together, as we study the Word of God together. We do this as we pray together, as we sing together, as we laugh together, as we cry together. We get to know the love of in a bigger way. And like, Charles, like Paul, Charles Spurgeon admits this in his poem that describing God's love really can't be done. Although it's something that surpasses knowledge, Paul still prays that the church might know his love. The mystery of Christ in us should grow that we would know his love more and more. Finally, the mystery of Christ in us, number three, is that God would be revealed in us. That God would be revealed. And now listen, as we, as we yield to God's Spirit, as we yield to Him in us, what, His life is the thing that's portrayed through our lives. And as we do that, this is about who gets the credit. I don't know about you, I don't want the credit for my salvation. I want the credit for figuring it all out because I don't have it all figured out. I want God to get that glory. Because he deserves that glory. And Paul goes on, he says, in verse, at the end of verse 19 in Ephesians 3, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Don't just have a little bit of Jesus, have a lot of Jesus, all of it. It says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This is, a, again, a credit Who's going to get the glory in your life? 
And as people around you watch your life, who are they giving credit to? Paul writes in Colossians 2, he says, so then just as you, you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Very, very similar language here, being, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. This is that outpouring that I'm going to let Christ raise up in me, that he'll, he'll be the one that's full in me and that he will overflow around and it'll overflow with gratitude. So be careful then that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition based on the elements of this world rather than on Christ. So this is a huge, important statement. We talked about right now media right at the beginning of the service. We have to be careful that no one takes us captive to anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because where else are we going to go? Where else do we go? The answer is nowhere. It says, uh, because don't, don't do anything else other than on Christ. Why? For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. That the answer is there's nowhere else to go. That the fullness of God dwells in Christ, and he says, and you have been filled by him. So for you and I, we've been filled with God's fullness through Christ Jesus. There is no other cunning place we need to go. There is no other you know, secret society that we need to join. We have the word of God that should dwell in us richly, as, and we have Christ who should dwell in us richly. We have been filled by Him, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. Why? Paul writes this in Colossians 1. He says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now listen, your life and my life, with the, with the indwelling of God inside of us, the mystery of Christ in us, the high, high calling and the high mercy of God in us is there so that God would dwell and then overflow and then that it would be made known among others the mystery of Christ in us. So we proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says in, in Colossians, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Paul, Paul, why was Paul on his knees praying to God for this? Because he understood the depth of the mystery and the mercy of God in us. That it was the power that he needed to share Christ with the world. It's the power that the world needed to come to faith in Christ. And we, we say, no, just, just live and let live. Right? That's, that's our philosophy. Like, let's not be pushy here. Let's live and let live. And I say, no. I say, let Christ live in us. Let His great mercy that's been poured out into our lives be shining to the world around us. So we would strive to make Christ at, not only at home here, but we would strive in every way to proclaim Him to a world who desperately needs Him. And see, that is how His mercy is more. God's mercy is more not only to you to strengthen you, but His mercy is more to the world as we let God's mercy and love swell up in us and overflow to the world who needs His love and mercy. Amen? 
All right, let's stand together and pray, you guys. Father, we're so grateful for love for us. We're grateful that you've brought us together, Lord, not to just figure it out as we go, but Lord, to, to yield to your Spirit, that you might strengthen our inner person, and God, we might have joy from that, and God, we would have a life that's lived uh, to shine the, the life of Christ through our, through our lives, Lord, and not, not live that we just live and let live, or we try to figure it out on our own. But God, we would see the greatness of God and the great mercy of the mystery of Christ in us. And we would let him have his full effect in our lives. God, we ask for that. We ask that we would yield to your spirit, that we would renovate our house. We would let you not only be there, but dwell there, reside there as a family member, as the reigning member to lead us and to guide us in all wisdom and truth that again, your life might be displayed through ours. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.